Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Live from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, the Total Education Show, the talk shop for teachers, parents, and administrators. Here's your host of the show, Neil Haley, the Total Tutor. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Total Celebrity Show. I'm the host of the show, Neil Haley. You can go to my website, tolter.net, for more information, Twitter, Tutor, Neil S. Haley, Facebook, LinkedIn, Neil Haley, Instagram, Total Tutor, Pinterest, Neil Haley, Google Plus, Neil Haley, and also Periscope at Total Tutor. And uh, exciting celebrity interviews I have today live. Love doing it live, and I'm excited to welcome the program Grammy Award-winning country music star, Lynn Anderson. Lynn, thanks for calling. How are you? I'm just very good. How are you today? I am happy. It's uh, great. I love the summer. I love the weather, and we're not having rain in Pittsburgh, so I can definitely deal with that, and just happy to be live with getting to interview such interesting people. So, Lynn, your whole entire life, did you want to be a country music singer? Was that something growing up you wanted to do? No, actually, uh, I was uh, in school majoring in journalism. I uh, My mother was uh, a writer, and my daddy was a publisher, so I was kind of surrounded by music. But I thought I would I would be um, the person interviewing them, like you're doing. Um, I, when I was in school, uh, was the editor of my school newspaper and stuff like that, and I, I got the assignments of going and interviewing um interviewing people. I got to interview um, Sonny and Cher, and I got oh, wow. to interview Glenn Campbell and stuff like that as the uh, reporter from my high school newspaper. So, you know, that's, that's I kind of fell into the, into the uh, idea of being a singer. It just kind of happened. That's just, that is just amazing. So that you started out in that, and how did that, and so you learned the specifics of, uh, I guess, how these celebrities made it before you even got started in your music career, it sounds like, from getting the <laughs> Right? Would you agree? Well, um, yeah, it's crazy. Um, you, you were able to rub elbows with people and how they made it, so that I'm sure it helps you in the long run. So basically, when once you got, uh, tell us how you got discovered. Tell us that story. Well, um, my mother got a recording contract, uh, Chet Atkins at RCA, and uh, when she went to Nashville to um, uh, to record, I went along with her, and uh, I sang harmony with her. Uh, she and her sisters did a lot of harmony around the house, and, and I um, was pretty good at that. So while Mother was singing, I was harmonized with her. And uh, somebody looked at me, and there I was, a teenager from California singing country music, and they thought that was wild. And weird. <laughs> so um, I was Taylor Swift a long time ago. <laughs> they thought I was an oddity, you know, that a that a blonde teenager from California would be would be singing country music. Very interesting. And from there, you, you probably were surprised with this unbelievable uh, growth of your career, right? Probably Absolutely. 
You didn't think Absolutely. it was going to happen, did you? No. No, I really didn't. It was it was a surprise. It was um, a pleasant surprise, and it. Uh, I actually recorded uh, the same week as my mother, and uh, had to call and see if I could take an extra few days off of school. <laughs> and uh, sure enough, you know, my first record made the charts and everything, and and it was. Uh, it's kind of never never looked back from there. And that, and that's pretty much the, the the right thing to do is basically once you see that you have this talent, let's go for it. And then the the amount of uh, once you get that break and see it, what do you think? What, when did you finally say to myself, "Wow, am I really here? Is this truly what's happening to me?" When did that kind of you're pinching yourself at a time when you're you were when you were on top? Just almost immediately, you know, when that first record hit the charts, and you know, kind of the like the first time I heard myself on the radio, I had to pull the car over and go, hey, <laughs> you know, good heavens, that's me. So, um, you know, it, it just um, was uh, a, a pleasant surprise. What fun. You know what? I always thought um, that it would, would end. I, you know, I figured it was like a fluke. Uh, so, you know, I I uh, continued to practice my shorthand, <laughs> and uh, you know, figured that that um, you know, just as quickly as it happened, it would probably go away, and I needed to keep up my secretarial skills. <laughs> so, uh, and it just it, it just kept going and going. So I'm I've just been lucky. I've been blessed. It's been an amazing um, an amazing career, and I've been in it. A long time now. And when you compare yourself to Taylor Swift in that way, when she was in country music, do you think when you're when you kind of hit the the ground running, the country music's grown a lot since that since that time? And imagine if you would have this would have happened to you five years ago. What the difference is with the growth of country music become more and more mainstream? In my opinion, since then, yeah, I think. So. Oh, absolutely. Um, you know, when, when, uh, when I started, it was very possible, uh, for, uh, a country musician and a pop musician to have the same song out at the same time. And, you know, they never crossed paths. I had, um, I had, um, top of the world and, uh, and then Karen Carpenter came, uh, and dropped hers out on top of me. So hers was number one pop. And mine was number one country, and you know it became it became the country song of the year. Uh, you know, won the Grammy and stuff like that. But uh, at that time, you know, country was a very different animal from from pop music. Winning that Grammy, how amazing was that experience there? To oh, that? just incredible! Um, you know, Rose Garden won the Grammy as well, and it was just. Um, it's just amazing. That's that's uh, an, an honor that's voted by your peers, and it was um, just incredible to be accepted by uh, by the other people in the business. It uh, kind of, you know, it can't help but make you feel good. When you think of the other icons in country music, especially. Uh, you were the Billboard Billboard Artist of the Decade from uh, uh, 1970 to 1980. Who would you say you would compare yourself to that had this long of a run at that time in country music? Would would like to an icon today? Would you say, or has been? Who would you say? 
Oh, my. I'd say, like, Cammy Wynette. Yes. Um, I, you know, she and I were, were a pretty close parallel. Uh, Connie Smith, uh, we started right about the same time and, you know, kind of ran ran neck and neck in the charts. And, and um, uh, you know, I, I identify a lot with Connie. I think she's a real sweetie. And, and uh, of course, she just made it into the Hall of Fame, and that's a, that's a wonderful thing for her. So, um, anyway, uh, one of these days, <laughs> it would be the, the greatest thing in my life would, would be if, if I were to, if I were to possibly make it in there sometime. Well, and, and I think that you keep performing, then they'll say, wow, how about, how about that unbelievable run and you continue to, to perform and all these different things and, and see the, the changes in country music and are you happy with the growth of country music since you started? Actually, Just- yes. I, I'm, um, I think there's room for everybody. I think, you know, that some of the changes are a little too, a little too progressive, but then again, they said the same thing about me when, you know, when I did Rose Garden, um, and top of the world and cry and those things, there was, there was, um, we did it with, with strings. We did, um, the London Symphony Orchestra played on on Rose Garden, and I had a lot of people that said it was, uh, you know, that my stuff was too pop at the time. So, you know, it, it always there's room for everything. It, it grows and it changes, and the music moves. But there's always room, it seems, for um, for that classic country. And I think that again, when we talk about artists today, country music, in let's say the '90s, and how they were able to grow in the mainstream, but yet still get people to love country music. Not like Taylor Swift went straight to pop, but the others. I mean, it's just, it's amazing the who's who names and how people just constantly think of them in that way. And I think at the time before you made your run, I think that people never thought that that was going to happen. It was like, okay, country music is in the deep South. It's not going to ever, you know, become some big thing in these big cities. And then you were able to headline Madison Square Garden. So that, <laughs> that, that, so you, you definitely showed, hey, we could take this out other places for sure. Well, I've, I've gotten to do an awful lot of things in my career. Um, I think that the idea that I was on the Lawrence Welk show really did an awful lot to to bring me to an audience that, wasn't used to listening to country music. Uh, at the time, my one song, my one country song on the Lawrence Welk show was the only country music on television. Oh, that my. was it. So if you wanted country music, I was it. And then, uh, being as I lived in Hollywood and all that, uh, if Bob Hope needed somebody, uh, if he was doing a country piece, um, I was the first one that came to mind. So I got to, I got to work with Bob Hope and uh, Lucille Ball and um, Red Skelton and folks like that. Dean Martin. I got to do the summer replacement for the Dean Martin show for two years and uh, got to work with him quite a bit. And, you know, just got got to work with amazing people that, you know, that kind of um, helped that music cross over at the time. Um, you know, Rose Garden. Yes. Yeah. Crossing over into pop was uh, there was a Ray Price for the Good Times and um, Sammy Smith helped me make it through the night and that 
kind of, you know, was a was a, a door opener, uh, you know, that got some got some country music um, feet in the door. <laughs> well, it definitely seems like it, and I didn't know that it wasn't that mainstream. Looking at, you know, I I know more of the 80s and 90s, late 80s or uh, 90s and 2000s when we talk about country music and getting exposed to it when I was a professional wrestler when down south and really in the east. We we talked about, I'm 42, by the way, and that, you know, you know really, oh, I'm listening to country music and then the country music bar opened up here that I bounced at and different things. But now it's just like, I think this crossover but to know how much of a crossover it was when when you were when you were performing on these amazing shows you were definitely that icon that people need to thank for where country music is today for sure <laughs> well thank you very much um you know i i feel like i was in, in the right place at the right time and um uh, you know I, I was able to do do a lot of things you know when um you know, looking back and, and being able to work with people like like Dean Martin and, and Bob right. Hope, and you know that was that was just amazing. Looking back on you know looking back on those photographs, I um, I have to pinch myself a little bit because I've I've really been um, I've really been lucky. I've really been blessed. Well, you seem definitely lucky and blessed for sure. And then, well, oh, it's time to you know when you're performing, but. You're not doing a lot. Well, that's not true at all. You wouldn't be on my show. You have a new album. And uh, <laughs> tell us about that and uh, Bridges and uh, some interesting people that you uh, are doing the project with, for sure. Well, um, uh, it's a gospel album. It's the first time in my career that I've done a gospel project. So it's something that's a long time coming. And um, uh, I got to work with... Uh, uh, the producer that did uh, the last record that I that I did was almost ten years ago, and it w- was nominated for a Grammy. And Bill Vornick produced it, and um, he and uh, uh, Bruce Dees, who who uh, worked with Ronnie Millsap, uh, produced this album. So uh, I'm really proud of it. It's really, um, you know, it's really. Uh, the best thing I've done in a long time. And, uh, uh, well, it's the only thing I've done in a long time. Actually, I've, I've been doing Western music for the last several years, but, um, this one's got some beautiful songs in it. It's really, um, it, the reason they called it bridges is because it kind of bridges the gap between gospel music and pop music. Uh-huh. It's, um, it's taking, gospel music into into the mainstream. I think a lot of the songs on this CD could be played on uh on a regular radio station. Uh the songs are are that um sweet, you know. They're they're we chose them very carefully and uh the Oak Ridge Boys came and sang with me. I love oh, the wow. Oaks. And a a group called the Mil- the Millers came and sang with me. So, um, oh, the Martins, oh, the Martins, I'm so sorry. Um, <laughs> they sang with me on another song, and there's just some some wonderful material in here. It's really uh, beautifully written, and um, um, I'm just really proud of it. Are you happy you're bridging the gap of gospel and 
pop music in certain ways in country to kind of bring them together in a way so that people that are listening to this this uh, gospel project can really uh, think of their face, but yet also be entertained at the same time in certain aspects. And, you know, it's, it's interesting. It's a definite great way to kind of get people to say, okay, let's get some young people to listen to gospel music because of the, yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think it's, um, I, I think it's, it's time for this to happen. It is, especially with look at Christian music in general, making this huge run in Nashville and the, the growth of that in the last 15 years, that people want to have a good message. They want to listen to something that's giving them inspiration. Absolutely. That's kind of been, um, you know, my thought process recently is, is just, is there's, there's enough uh, bad stuff in the world, you know. Um, I, I, I think the idea of singing things that have, have a positive message and are, are uplifting uh, is is a really good thing. I feel like kind of that's my job. You know, I I'm here to to um, make people feel good. And um, you know, like I said, there's enough there's enough bad stuff going on in the world that that um, I, I feel like when you listen to music, you ought to be able to smile. What's your favorite song on the album? Uh, it's interesting to hear because again, gospel. We want to know what, what's your favorite song on the Ooh. album. You know what? I think my favorite is called The Road to Surrender. It, it reminds me of Chris Christopherson's Why Me, Lord. And it, it actually reminds me of um, Dolly Parton of I Will Always Love You. It's just, it's really, it's really um, a heartfelt song. And um, I really enjoy singing it. It's, uh, it's just beautifully written. And, um, I I think it'll touch people. And and I think so too. And I think that your fans throughout the decades are now saying, Wow, this is something I can show my family members why I love your music and start a new generation of Lynn Anderson fans which is <laughs> a great thing, especially. So you look like the kind of situation where you want to continue to perform for a long time to come. Seems like how motivated you are and how excited you are about music and country music in general are you what it said in your bio is you, you want to keep going right keep going absolutely well this is my life it's been my life um you know as i said i i thought i was going to be in the in the interviewing uh end of the music business but you know i always thought that i'd be in in the business some way and um you know this is this is me. I've, I've made a living doing music um, uh, for a long time now, and I can't see myself ever putting it down. It's it's a gift that you can that you can uh, give away and and still have. What else is there? Any other other projects going on with you, Lynn, right now that you're doing? Well, um, I'm in the middle of a, of another Western project. I did a project a couple of years ago that won the. Uh, the uh, award from the Cowboy Hall of Fame. So I'm in the middle of doing that. I've, I'm a cowgirl also. I'm, I've been a, a cowgirl all my life. I've, I, I wear the hat and the boots nearly every day. <laughs> so um, uh, I'm, I'm continuing to, uh, to work with Western music. Um, 
just mainly this this is going to be a, an exciting change for me. We we um, did a concert a couple of weeks ago and added uh, four or five of the songs of the gospel songs from this um, uh, from this CD into the show uh, to see how they would go over at a uh, at a casino crowd, you know. And um, everybody liked them, you know. I feel like the idea of um, changing the uh, um, of including this genre into uh, into uh, a regular country show is uh, interesting. You know, I, I, I think it's going to work. And what about now, we're talking about the latest album, how things have changed in promotion since you started, you know, going on the Lawrence Rolk show or different things and how you promoted your music to now. Is it blow you away with social media and videos and all these different ways of promote and self-promotion? Absolutely. Yeah, it's all completely different. Um, you know, back when, when I started, um, I I went to work for my record label, and I would um, uh, I would answer the phone and take orders for my own record. <laughs> That's uh, a uh, distributor would call in and say, "Oh, we want 500 of that new Lynn Anderson record," and I'd say, "Oh, you know what? They're going like hotcakes. You better order a <laughs> thousand." And they'd say, "Who are you?" <laughs> so yeah, it's it's very different now. Everything is online. And um, it's crazy. Now, though, we did uh, we did something uh, old line. We did we did a red vinyl single. Did they give you the red vinyl? Oh no, I didn't. know. I did not. I didn't get the red vinyl. That'd be. That'd... I'll be darned. <laughs> that's that's a throwback. I, I guess people are buying record players again, and a lot of people really. Have, oh have my. Old, a lot of people have collections of old vinyl records, and um, so we did a we did a red vinyl for Drift Away, and um, the song Get Up Joseph that the uh, Oak Ridge Boys came and sang on with me. How about that? So and you my boyfriend you... wrote Drift Away. Do you know that song? No, I do not. And so oh, I'm going to go back in some of your history. You I got to go on the YouTube's and go. What? Oh yes, now I know it. Go ahead and sing that, Lynn. That's, uh, <laughs> I've only had I've had Judy Tenuta sing. I've had the Wiggles sing on my show. So come on, give us that again. Give Judy us that. Tenuta. Oh, how funny! Uh, I give you my heart, Lord. You freed my soul. I want yes. to be there on the streets of gold and drift away. Absolutely. <laughs> yes, I knew uh, and I, I I had to have you. I, I don't always ask singers to sing, but thank you, thank you. And what would be the one, because I'm a historian, what would you say the song that I would know, even though I was looking back at you, because, again, at the time you were very big, I was very little. The song <laughs> that was the biggest song for your career, can you sing a couple bars of that for us? Ah, uh, sure. Um, I beg your pardon. I never promised you a rose garden. Along with the sunshine, there's got to be a little rain sometime. That Fan fantastic. Uh, I'm going to have to, I was about to reach out to one of my uh, professional wrestling promoters, was one of the biggest country music fans in the world. He would always go to the Grand Old Opry from Nashville, and uh, his name's Bert Prentice, and literally he does visit all the time in different ways. And he's such a huge fan of country music, and I was saying he got me into country music big time when I was living in Arkansas. A northerner, uh -huh. like, a northerner like myself. So I have to message him on Facebook 
and tell him I interviewed you. I'm sure he'll he'll want to definitely listen to that link out of our interview. So <laughs> so awesome, great. I mean, and it's awesome to to for you to sing a few bars. You can at least say I never thought I'd be on an interview where someone said I interviewed the Wiggles and Judy Tenuta and two different varieties. I, I think I'm thinking of other people, but again, you can't get singers to sing. Is that terrible? But you should <laughs> always a promoter, always a a performer. You're always a performer, and I'm always a promoter, and that's a perfect mix in an interview for sure, Lynn. So where's the best place we can find information on you and learn more about you? Where can we go and also purchase your CD and all that stuff? Where can we go? Oh, terrific, terrific. Uh, go to lynnandersonshow.com, and you can uh, – uh, it's got tons of stuff, and I get on there all the time and, and uh, post and talk to people and keep up my – Keep up my Facebook and stuff like that. You learned how important it is because, again, and here's a recommendation for you. You have to try uh, Periscope. Then, so you can Periscope with your – so it's basically celebrities are going on all the time to Periscope. So you have to research that. Periscope. Your, uh, yeah, Periscope. I just have to tell you that because, again, I tell you, I picture people, if they saw you get on there, especially if you're at a concert and people, you could Periscope part of the concert or specifically preparing in the back room. People will love that, especially who you end up performing with at certain events. So definitely, cool. definitely check that out, man. But thanks again for calling. I had a blast, and, and thank you for singing a few tunes. I was entertained for sure. <laughs> All right. Well, you have a great day, Neil. All right. Take care, Lynn. Thanks for calling. Okay. Take care. Bye-bye. Do it's the Total Celebrity Show, and we'll be back in just a moment segment, and I'm really excited because it's the Just Two Choices Celebrity Authors segment. You can go to my website, TotalTutor.net, for more information, Twitter, TotalTutor, Neil S. Haley, Facebook, LinkedIn, Neil Haley, Instagram, TotalTutor, Pinterest, Neil Haley, Google+, and also at Periscope, a great place uh, to connect with my fans as well. And uh, I remember this guest, and I, it's going to be a surprise, uh, but I grew up reading his books, meaning when I started my relationship getting married. So it's an interesting thing. So I'm excited first to welcome the program. My co-host, Just Two Choices, Rico Rakowski. Rico, how are you, man? And I know you're excited. (laughs) Oh, I am. It's just just such an honor and privilege. Thank you so much. And Neil and and John, uh, I'm just super excited about chatting today. All right, so Rico, introduce our guest because it's a surprise to some people, I'm sure. They're listening. Go ahead. Yeah, number, the number one New York Times best-selling author of Men Are From Mars, Women Are From Venus. A book has sold over 50 million copies in 45 languages. That's the part that, that boggles my mind, 45 languages. Uh, welcome, Dr. Gray, and uh, thank you for, for being here with us today. Happy to be with you guys. Thank you. But you know, it's uh, it's I'm a visual kind of person. My background's in aviation and in graphic design, and uh, and you know, it's it's amazing and a well-known fact about how images are the primary means by which people learn, and that's what I love so much about your approach to this age-old mystery of how men and women can significantly improve their relationships with each other. You know, it's a it's a very easy to imagine visual and fun. Men are from Mars, women are from are from Venus. It's brilliant. So how did that visual or concept evolve until you got that big aha moment and the, the full birth of that idea? Was it years? Was it months? Was it a, just a big pop in one moment kind of a thing? Well, uh, I had been a marriage counselor. I still am a marriage counselor for now 40 years. And I realized that uh, one of the biggest problems between men and women typically is we misunderstand each other. You know, everybody's always talking about communication is the answer. Communication is the answer. Well, 
the reason communication is the answer is because there's misunderstanding. And one of the biggest causes of misunderstanding is we unknowingly, instinctively, automatic expect our partners uh, to react and respond to situations the way we would, to need the things that we want. And when that's not the case, we look at what's wrong with our partner, and, and then the communication goes south. We just don't have a, a place where we're looking to, oh, someone could be really different from me, and that could be just as legitimate as my point of view. So back in the in, in the early 80s, I was teaching these ideas that you know men and women were like uh, different in different styles of communication and so forth. And it was still yeah. such a serious subject back then because everybody was trying to prove that we're equal. And, you know, equal doesn't mean sameness. I mean, I'm all for equality, but not sameness. Nobody's the same as anybody. And there's general categories of real differences. So it was several years of my trying to find a fun way to talk about it. And, you know, you mentioned the idea about pictures and images. I've always seen that as a teacher, because I also teach seminars, telling stories and create, painting a picture of a situation is what is most lasting for people. You know, you remember a good story. Anyway, so I was kept looking for what, how could I present this? And then I was given a talk somewhere, and I just seen the movie E.T. You can remember that movie, yeah. And, yeah. And, and big yeah, movie, yeah. big movie. And I was just saying, women, just imagine your husband's E.T. You, you, you wouldn't presume to know what's best for him. But even before I finished the sentence, they all started laughing, and the whole thing lightened up. Yeah. And some woman said, "Where's my husband from?" And I said, "Mars." <laughs> And boy, they all laughed, and I said, oh, I finally found the answer. I'll just talk about this today. And it really made a difference. It just made it easy to swallow, easy to push aside yeah. all those, well, what does he mean by this, and does that mean I'm supposed to go back in the kitchen and be pregnant and barefoot all the time? <laughs> you know, it's just like it was real different and try to be create a space to empathize and understand and support. That's so wow. interesting, John, heavy. because, I mean, and then I saw that in so way at my age at 24 25 years old, picking up a book saying, oh, I just got married. What am I going to do next? Again, I see that, you know, I'm attracted to this woman. She's my best friend, but I just understand why I screw up so much and get her angry at me or upset at me. So I picked up your books, John, and I started reading them. And I, I started saying to myself, wow, it's like we have to kind of really listen. And, and that's the key. And I think that you were able to track people, John, with Mars, Venus, and seeing that really there are differences between men and women in the way we think, it, it really wasn't out there, John. And I think you were groundbreaking in that way to explain that to people who were not, didn't go to counseling or didn't, you know, read self-help books all the time. But this seems so attractive because it was such a simple topic to look at Mars, Venus. Would you agree? Oh, absolutely. It was a huge breakthrough for people. I mean, I would sit there in my counseling office and people would go, why didn't somebody tell me this? Why didn't somebody tell me this? <laughs> and what's funny is sometimes the women would say, but I have been telling you, or the man would say, but I have been telling you. But it's one of these things you don't really hear from your spouse, but <laughs> somebody else points it out yeah. in, a, in a way where you don't feel blamed, you don't feel criticized, yeah. you don't feel defensive. And that's sort of the whole magic of the metaphor and the, yeah. the, the message that I teach is that, you know, really – have best intentions. We just don't know the right ways to do it. And and then people say, well, why don't we know? And I say, because, you know, historically, we learned everything uh, men, for men from our fathers, and, and daughters learned from their mothers, and right. men learned to what expect of women from their mothers, and all that. But the times have changed, you know. the the Those are old relationships. The rules of the old-fashioned relationships are the rules of, of role-mate, 
we have roles. You know, she's the homemaker and mother, and he's the provider and yeah. protector. And, you know, you, this goes back thousands of years. It's not just a thing about the 50s. It's You go to the indigenous cultures in South America right now or Africa, you'll see there's two fires, the men are at one and women are at the other. They don't cross that much. Uh-huh. And so suddenly... I mean, the irony is they understood men and women were different. They just didn't understand how those differences can fit together. And that's what, you know, my message has done is help us to understand the differences, make sense of them, so to see how we, we can fit together, how we can support each other better. But, again, they had worked it out historically for role mates, you know, for survival and security. When survival and security are main issues, uh, the old-fashioned ways of relating are, are fine. But when suddenly you shift from survival and security to a world where one of our primary needs becomes emotional fulfillment, we're looking to fall in love, we're looking for passionate sex, you know, we're looking for happiness through our relationships, that's a whole nother, you know, ball of wax. And so we have a whole new understanding that we have to sort of rise up to to make that work. And understanding differences is a major step in that direction. Right, you know, it's... Oh, Rico, sorry about that. Go ahead. Oh, I, no, go ahead. No, go ahead. No, please. No, I just was just going to just piggyback on that. That's so true, and that really yeah. helped me a lot to begin to understand women. But uh, And uh, Rico, uh, definitely that's the thing that John's able to bring to the table is to know there's differences and to get lots of men to start developing more feelings for women and understand how they think. And, yeah, and, and, and tied to that, it, it goes for thousands of years. So go ahead. Yeah, well, I'm sorry. Otherwise, if, if you don't see, it's like it's like when you're dancing really close to somebody, you can step on their feet more easily. Uh, <laughs> men and women are actually closer than they've ever been in history. I mean, we really we want more. We and we're also working side by side. You know, the whole joining together. And when you come closer, that's when you can get your 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 toes stepped on, so to speak. So it's easier to get hurt. It's easier to feel offended. It's easier to be irritated, annoyed, and so forth. If and also just frustrated, you know, you just go, what is what's going on here? And, and I think one of the reasons uh, men from Mars, women from Venus, is so popular and still holds true in many ways is um, every example in that book was was earned uh, in my own personal life. You know, these are the things that I went through uh, in my marriage. I saw that that almost every client that came to me for years and years was really struggling with certain specific issues. And, and that's where the message has become kind of universal. I go to countries all around the world, and, and when I stick to some of those basic issues, they all go, yes, yes, yes. And it's not like they're the, you know, I address all the problems people can face in a relationship. But when you can get the basics of understanding each other, then communication improves. Then when communication improves, then there's a softening of the heart, so the two of you are together solving problems. And so it's easier to make the necessary compromises to be patient, to be accepting that that a soulmate relationship requires, you know, to grow in love as opposed to just survive and be content. Well, you know, speaking of those basics of understanding so that the communication improves, another one of those visuals that I really love, John, you, you talk about, um, you know, guys bring three dozen roses, and the women sees it as one rose. The guy sees it as 36 points. Could you expand on that visual? Because I think it's really one of those things that really helps with this, this idea of the basics of understanding and improving oh, communication. It's, it was, it's such a revelation. I mean, there's a – and, you know, in Minute from Mars, I give this point, and I'll explain in a moment. 
But then now, you know, uh, 25 years later, this actual hormonal scientific research explaining why it's so. But the basic thing I observed is that uh, when women would come to me and they're upset with their husbands and wanting to get a divorce, almost the same thing they would all say, which is, I give and I give and I give and I don't get back. It's like they're scoring points. Yet they don't realize they're scoring points until finally the score is so uneven and they, you know, the whole time they're just giving, hoping to get back. And one day they go, you know, I've been giving and giving and giving, and I got nothing back. This, and, and to me, I heard it very clearly like the score is now 1,000 to zero. I, <laughs> I scored all these points. I'm so good, and he's not. So, so then I started going further into it and realizing, well, men score points as well. You know, we'll do something really good, like make our wives really happy. And then we feel like, all right, I don't have to do much for a while. <laughs> it's like if I if I do a lot for her in one moment, then then I can sort of go on vacation for a while. And 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 I realized there's a big difference. And the difference was with women, every act of love that you give to a woman scores equal to every other act of love. And and so that's the metaphor for it. If you give her 36 roses, she's going to be all happy. But those roses die in a week. <laughs> it's gone. <laughs> and, and if you bring her one rose, uh, she experiences the same happiness for a week. And for her, it's an act of love. They don't go, how much money do you spend? I mean, there's a certain amount of that, some big things occasionally, but they all wilt, wilt away very quickly. So the secret with women is give one rose, one act of love, many, many times, and it doesn't have to be a big act of love. Now, the 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 later research now on this is that we now know that when you do something loving for a woman, she's happy. Okay, this is a it stimulates this hormone oxytocin. Anytime you are affectionate, mm-hmm. uh, interested, compliment, mm-hmm. say, I love you, uh, show a little consideration. The other day I was driving home from a trip and I picked up some homemade bread that my wife likes at a store in another town. And, oh, I came home, gave it to her. I said, oh, yeah, and I brought you the, the uh, loaf of bread from there. She just lit up. She says, you're the greatest husband. <laughs> I thought, you know, I can make all the money in the world. I won't get that out of her. <laughs> so, so, for the guys, so for the guys, no matter what I do, um, you know, it never seems to be enough to make her happy. Spread it out a little bit, huh? That's exactly right, because see what guys will say is just what you pointed out, is when they're unhappy in marriages, they say, you know, no matter what I do, it's never enough to make her happy. That's because they do something big, she's happy, then she's not, and she got to do lots of little things. So otherwise you become exhausted and, and worn out, and there's no way you can do big stuff all the time, you know, like that special yeah. Valentine's Day date. Exactly. Or, you know, you just can't do that, but you can do little things, just a little bit above the norm. That's all it is, a little bit sprinkle it out here and there, you know, hugs, <laughs> regular hugs, yes, affection, yes. noticing her, planning a date here and there. These little things make a big difference for women, and now we know it's those little things that stimulate oxytocin, and oxytocin is the hormone that lowers stress in women. And men don't instinctively understand the power of little things. It just doesn't work with our mm. physiology because oxytocin doesn't lower our stress. It's not a major need for men to get the hormone oxytocin. We typically we have some, and we don't run out of it, so to speak. It's the bonding hormone. It's the love hormone. But it's not a major – it doesn't in any way lower our stress levels. But for women, oxytocin is the major hormone to lower their stress. 
And so, you know, there's a huge payoff when you do little things for women. Women are always doing lots of little things for men, and quite right. often we go, okay, what's the big deal? <laughs> Actually, you know, my wife will start helping me pack for a trip or something, you know, and I'm going, I don't need any help. <laughs> you know, back up. And that, that can cause some trouble sometimes, John, because when we get little things done for us all the time, we aren't appreciative. And again, we're talking to John Gray, MarsDenis.com, for more information to purchase the books, all the different things. A fantastic website, John, for sure. And we'll talk a little bit about that later on in the show. But I, I tell you, when I think about the little things, sometimes when men don't appreciate the things that their wives are doing, that's going to be a no-no too, right? And that's going to cause some big problems, isn't it, John? Well, well that's that's the big thing. That's why women often feel that they're not appreciated. Right. That is something women will say all the time. Now, there's two answers to that, and then we'll get to the solution. But one answer is what we just covered. A lot of stuff women do, we don't appreciate. I mean, I don't really care. You know, if you if I really want something and you do it for me, my appreciation is huge. You can't fake it. And and if you do something little, uh, it you know I appreciate it, but it's going to be a little appreciation. It's not going to be the same as if you did something big for me. <laughs> so it's it's what I have to explain this to women, which is do less in your relationship. If you want to do more, make sure you're doing it because you're enjoying it. And you're not expecting some big wave of appreciation from him. But if you want to know what makes men what men are looking for in a relationship, and this is hard for women to get. And some women get it, some women don't, even still when they read my book. But the, the power of women with men is not what you do for a man. It's how you respond to what he does for you. That's why men bond with women. That's why we're happy to be with women is because we feel like she appreciates us, that she feels, you know, that we're a significant part of her life and we make a difference in her life. That's where if women could realize their power is not so much in what they do, but it's right. how they respond. Whereas for men, our power is way more in what we do, you know, what we say. Right. And, and that's what wins over women. Because then if you're doing something, saying something, she's receiving uh, your support. That stimulates the hormone oxytocin. When I do something for my wife and she responds with delight or happiness or appreciation uh, – when I get that response, it's a woman's response that increases testosterone in men, and testosterone is the <laughs> hormone that lowers stress for men. <laughs> wow. Interesting. Now, I tell now, you, now let, me, yeah, let me help solve the problem because we can't uh, convince women. You know, it's, this stuff takes a while to sink in, and when women say they don't feel appreciated, the real issue women don't feel appreciated is – it's interesting – is that for women – if you don't know everything they do, then they feel that you can't appreciate them because you don't mm -hmm. even know what they do. And I have a wonderful story for that one. I remember this is even before I married Bonnie 30 years ago. But my assistant at the time, my counseling practice, you know, she ran the front desk and organized all kinds of things. She organized my seminars. She did my books. She, you know, I just came to work and started counseling, and she did everything else. At a certain point, she said she wanted to quit. I said, why do you want to quit? She says, I don't feel appreciated. And I was shocked because, you know, I appreciated her enormously. She was, like, amazing. And so I said, what would it look like if I appreciated you? And she said, you'd know what I do. You don't even know what I do for you. And, and I laughed inside, wow. and I said, thinking, that's why I appreciate you so much is because I don't have to know what you do. You just get it all done. I don't have to be involved in it at all. 
<laughs> so I figured it out, and I said to her, okay, give me a couple of weeks. I, I, I'll show you a new me. And so then what I did <laughs> is I took about five minutes every day to check in with her to ask what she does. And, you know, even a little bit better was I thought that must have been frustrating, giving her a little emotional support, <laughs> right. you know. What else? And what yeah. did that person yeah. say then? Oh, I can't believe it. You know, just a little bit of, of empathy, a little bit of understanding, a little bit of appreciation for yeah. her successes. And she yeah. loved it. She worked for me for years and years and years. You know, she's still a very good friend. She just went and eventually she went to another job because they paid almost twice as much. <laughs> <laughs> wow, it's amazing how much I'm learning today, Rico, from John Gregg yeah. and MarsVenus.com for more information. And Rico, what it does is it brings back those memories of what I was reading when I first got married. Now, 15 years later, I'm like, uh-oh, time to put on the brakes, and there's an aha moment right there, Rico. <laughs> and, and, you know, it's another aha moment that ties right into that, um, Neil, and, and I'll say for me is, is, you know, I noticed that you've expanded, uh, John. Um, you know, with Barbara Annis out into the workplace even more and more. And so, you know, as as you're talking, I'm listening to all these differences and stuff, and, and you're talking about this oxytocin hormone. Uh, is that brought up with regard to the workplace, too, in terms of uh, in this book with the, uh, well, Barbara the eight in our blind book spots? With me. Yeah, eight blind spots. We do give the research, uh, the biological uh-huh foundation for every major sex difference we point out, which is really fun to do because, you know, 30 years ago when I would talk about gender differences between men and women, people were always saying, well, how do you know? And how do you know, you know, Mm -hmm. uh, where's your research on that? And of course, my research as any psychological research is primarily personal work. And, but you Mm -hmm. see, for me, I would just say, look, for, before I wrote this book, I sat in a room for for eight hours a day listening to women complain about their husbands. You show me some other man that's listened to a woman eight hours a day complain about her husband, and I'll show you somebody who understands that men and women are different. Because yeah. <laughs> the bottom line is that women's complaints where it would be the same complaints my wife had. <laughs> and, and you would never hear a man saying much of the things that women say. I mean, men have some similar complaints, but you, you would – it's interesting. Here's another, another takeaway point, which is men can go through life and everything's fine at home if their wife is happy. But suddenly, if their wife uh, lists out 15 complaints about their husband and their life, a man will react – defensively, commonly, okay, not every man, but most men, he'll react defensively, and he'll he'll say, well, if you're upset, well, then what about this, and what about this, and what about this, and he'll suddenly have 15 complaints come out of him that he was okay about ignoring, but if you're going to complain, then I'm going to complain, and somehow men think that's a useful strategy. (laughs) Now, John, John, now I I want advice. I can't believe I have Dr. John Gray. What a way to kind of look at things. One thing I've learned in 15 years of marriage, and I hope my wife does not hear this show, and I'm just hoping so. <laughs> so, because hey, I have it right here, and I, I'm going to go home right into this. Women complaining is one of the most difficult, my wife complaining is one of the most difficult things I have to deal with. I feel at times frustrated. I can't do more. Frustrated. Why is this when, you know, everything should, everything's going okay? Is that just women? I... I Every every man, after he's been married for a while, will will feel the same way, if not say the same thing, in my experience. And when I go and give seminars, I talk about, you know, basically the number one complaint men, the most challenging thing for men in relationships 
is uh, a woman complains more than a man complains. Now, having said that, if a man over-complains a woman, it will be her number one complaint, too. It's just over the board, men, women have a much greater tendency to complain than men do. The only time men do complain, typically, is if a woman complains, he'll complain more as kind of some kind of competition or something. But the 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 nature of women, and this is the key to understanding this, because you're going to go home and you can see your wife is going to be complaining. And the thought is, is she just this complainer? It's probably why I'm happily married for 30 years is for the first 10 years, I listened to women do this and realized they all do it. They all do it. And if they don't do it, then they're, they're, they're feeling it deep inside and they just don't let it come out, which is even worse. But the secret here yeah. is is when women if you you can talk to your wife and you can say you know basically here's two things there's lots of techniques i do with this but the first let's do an umbrella understanding of it women are like the weather and the weather is uncontrollable it's going to change you just don't know what it's going to be you don't know what it's going to be another visual another visual yeah, right it's just sometimes a tornado comes you find a ditch and lie low you know there's a hurricane that comes a rain comes put on a raincoat and not that you can do this every time, but when they're in that place of complaining is listen, but don't speak. That Remember, just don't speak. Don't speak. And know that it will be over soon. That's the key to this, is that when they're talking without resistance, they will experience this increased oxytocin and their stress levels will go down. As soon as you wow. start to interrupt and solve the problem, their need to complain will dramatically increase. It's literally if you don't if you don't resist it will pass by. But if you resist, she gets <laughs> caught in it, and then you get caught in it, and it goes downhill. So the key is is don't speak, and occasionally it's like she's throwing darts at you. You got to keep you got to keep dodging them, dodging and dodging. Now if she hits you, you know that happened is because you get frustrated. I mean, one thing is something could be a little difficult. It's not easy. But another one is when you're really starting to react inside. So as soon as you're starting to feel reaction inside, that's the time to stop the conversation. And this is an important skill, just as important for men to listen and create oxytocin in women. It's important for men to know that if you're resisting what she's saying, then it's not going to produce oxytocin in her. It's going to make her want to talk more and then complain that you're not listening. So what you do is you have to have an exit phrase. Mine is, I say to my wife, there's, there's a few different ones, which is one is I really want to understand this, but I need to think about it first, and we'll talk again and walk away. Wow. That's one. Another one, which we, after many years, we just have a simple one where I just go, okay, I hear you, and turn around and walk away. <laughs> now, what she knows, see, we've had the conversation where she knows I can only hear so much where I start to get defensive. It's not her fault I get defensive, but I start feeling like there's nothing I can do to make her happy. I start feeling like she's saying it's my fault, or I start feeling like I'm not a good enough husband. So automatically I get this blood flow to the back part of my brain, which is called the flight or fight center. When a man starts to feel defensive, blood flow stops to the prefrontal cortex of the brain, which is where we can hear another point of view. You cannot hear another point of view. Literally, you don't have the blood flow in the brain to do it if you're in fight or flight. And for men, the amygdala is twice as big. So we, we can hear really well until that gets activated, and then we can't hear at all. It's kind of like all or nothing. That's where we get defensive. Oh so she knows that. So I said, look, honey, I want to wow. hear you, but at a certain point, there's nothing more I can hear. So let me, as soon as, without building up defenses, let me go away and think about what you said. Now, that's, that's another technique. Here's another one. 
is my wife is this is what she can do. And it's just amazing once women learn this skill. If she's upset with me about something, now the one thing is they're upset about work and whatever. That's yeah. much easier to listen to. Mm-hmm. But you just have to just listen and say, "Help me understand that better." And make noises like, "Oh, oh, really?" <laughs> and then at a certain point, when you just don't know what to do, this is use this magic phrase. You just say. You take a deep breath like you feel the weight of the stress they feel. Every part of your brain says, why do you let these things bother you so much? <laughs> you, you know, you, but you don't say that. Instead, you, you take a deep breath, relax, and you just say, you give so much to so many people. Let me give you a hug. And that's it. That's, that's it. great. I'm going to use that one. Okay, so now we have you a, can use we have that, a you, you can use that over and over. I just want men to know that because they think they can just use it once. Oh, that's fantastic. I'll try that for sure, and I'll, I'll have to tweet it out. She doesn't watch my Twitter either. Okay, so so uh, we do a little survey on this uh, Just Who's uh, Choices segment, and uh, Rico, tell us about the survey. Uh, yeah, uh, Dr. Gray, um, you know, with these men, are, um, you know, Mars-Venus interactions and everything coming together between Mars and Venus, you know, all of our lives come together because of our choices. I mean, it's the quality, when you think about it, it's the conscious quality of your choice, and there are just two. It's either going to be in a quality that really is going to take you close to what you want or a quality that's going to take you a little further away from what you want. So it's the quality of your choices that determines the quality of your life. So we take a little survey here with every guest. Um, what's the percentage of life do you think is a person's choice? 30%, 50%, 80% uh, in terms of how much oh. they really direct in their life? Yeah. Wow, what a what a great question. What a great question. Uh, I'd say in my life, 100% I go for choice. Well, that's, now, that's my beautiful. life. But I, what I feel is that people don't have the choice when they don't have mm-hmm. education. Okay, so it's like if you don't understand what the situation is, you, you, your choices are very limited. Okay, for example, if the room is dark and you, you, you sense a snake, you, you get all upset and then you want to beat the snake and get rid of the snake and somebody turns on the light <laughs> and you see the snake's a stick. You know, that's when yeah. you have a choice. <laughs> but it's like we, we do have this, this reactive brain. Now, this is all science again, which is when you're in the fight or flight mode, you have no choice. Okay. Right. Mm-hmm. The only choice you have is to notice that you're getting into that flight or fight mode and then get out of the situation that's putting mm-hmm. you in that. But most people don't know they have that choice. They don't know mm-hmm. that anything they say or do once they're in fight or flight is not going to have a successful result in their relationship. They will not have a successful result, period. Great, great under- point. Yeah. Absolutely. I can't believe we're running out of time. 30 minutes is so fast. Again, we can go to Mars, <laughs> Venus, Dr. Uh, Dr. Gray. We can find out all the information. You have a TV show there. You have seminars. Everything is at MarsVenus.com. Am I correct? It, it is, and I appreciate this interview so much. I really appreciate you guys sharing your own experience. That's really important. Well, I appreciate well, it, too, and I enjoyed the conversation. Well, I'm going to be listening to this a few times, taking <laughs> notes, and I'm going to be tweeting you out, John, with my successes, okay? Thank you. I'm going to help produce, I'm gonna I'm gonna produce oxytocin. Go <laughs> right. get that oxytocin going. Thank you, guys. All right. Take care, guys. Okay. All right. Thank Bye-bye. You. That that was, again, the, uh, the Author's Corner Just Two Segment segment, uh, justtwochoices.com. For more information, take care, guys. We've got another big interview in about t- 30 seconds, and we'll be back live. Take care, guys.
With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.